you. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that we have a God who is aware of our circumstance. He never turns an eye from us, and he is always able and willing to do in our lives what needs to be done. Aren't you thankful for that? I've learned that in 49 years. That's the first time I've said that. That's the last time. It, doesn't sound, it sounded bad to say 48, and I'm not going to say 49, so that, that's just it. Uh, but anyhow, I want to share with you uh, from Mark's gospel this morning. If you have your Bible, open up to Mark chapter 6. I actually want to share a lot with you, and that makes you nervous because I've never been accused of being short-winded. I'm not going to share a lot. Um, I, but I do want us to see a complete picture. And really, I just want to bring you to a word of encouragement. It's encouragement that I found, and I believe that um, if we would be open to his voice, that we all could be encouraged uh, today by the time we leave this place. Mark chapter 6, we're going to read um, really two sections uh, quite a bit of scripture, but we'll begin reading in verse 45. It'll be familiar to you, but I want us to hear it nonetheless. Mark chapter 6, 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now, when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them, the disciples, straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately Jesus talked with them and said, Be of good cheer, it's I, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened. When they crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. And when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him, ran through the whole surrounding region, and began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he entered into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. Jesus, we're lo we love you this morning, and we're thankful for your love for us. We're thankful for your care for us, for your presence with us. I've all been, already been reminded today that you truly are that one that's closer than any other. And your presence is so real. I know oftentimes we talk about where two or three are gathered together, you're there. But I can testify to the fact that so many times it's just been me and I've cinched you in such a real way. And I'm thankful for that. And Jesus, I believe that there's a word that you want to speak today. And so I pray that you would have your way. Help us to hear what it is that you're saying. I don't know these people, you do. So speak to us, speak to them exactly where they are. Help them to hear your voice above every other voice in the world. Help them to believe what you're saying 
and to respond to that voice and because of that be changed by your presence. We want to be changed more and more into the people that you long for us to be. Help us to do that, our part, so that you will do yours. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. The passage that we read together this morning is obviously out of that first section of Mark's gospel that I referred to the other day as the kingdom going public section. Jesus has been about presenting his Father's kingdom, and the presentation of that kingdom, lives are being changed. It's really nonstop action. And to appreciate what we read, I I, want to take you all the way back to chapter 5. Now, we'll not take long on this, but it's interesting. At chapter 5, we see right there at the beginning, after a night of fighting on the sea, the disciples, the storm, we watch that they come to shore in a place that really we don't see Jewish individuals doing. Most of Jesus' ministry occurred in that region of Galilee, but on this occasion, he crossed over to where the pigs were, not only the animals, but the people as well. And you'll remember that when he crosses over, there's an individual. In fact, I would say the reason why he crossed over, there's a particular man that's dwelling on that side of the lake. He's a man who might have at one point in life been a pleasant man, maybe even had a family, but something has happened in his life. A door was opened, and now evil consumes him. So great that we find out in his story that it's not just simply an evil spirit, but it's many evil spirits, so much so that you'll remember that he refers to himself as legion. I was reading a new translation, and, and I can't remember the name of it. I apologize. But the translation said, when it was confronted with, who are you? I think it was the Passion Translation. When Jesus asked the question, he refers to himself as mob. And I like that because what we see in his life is evil has literally mobbed this man. So much so where the pleasantness is gone. His identity is completely changed so much that they've thrown him out of the village and now he dwells with among the dead. He is literally the walking dead before there was anything like that in Hollywood. They've tried to constrain him. They've put chains on him. He breaks those chains. They've shackled him. He bends out of those shackles. There's no keeping this man constrained. He dwells amongst the tombs, the catacombs, and of the evening times, when darkness falls, his cries brought fear to that village. Doors would be latched, windows would be barred, something would be made so this evil could not enter into the home, but where the people were afraid of this man. It almost seems that Jesus heard his cries. And the one reason, now you can disagree, and I won't even say you'll be wrong, but you probably would be. The one reason he seems to cross over today is because he hears that man's cry, and he's not afraid. He's willing to give that man what he needs to set him free. It's a powerful picture because we watch him once he gets out of the boat. 
the man who has been mobbed by evil, the man who is overcome by legion, runs to the place where Jesus is, actually falls on his knees before him and proclaims him to be the Son of God. Isn't it amazing that evil always acknowledges who he is and yet we fail to do so? But anyhow, when all is said and done, Jesus completely restores this man. Aren't you thankful that we have a God who does things completely? Aren't you thankful that he doesn't operate in half measures? He completely restores this man, makes some other people mad, begins to get back in the boat, and the man who Jesus had changed his life wants to come with him wants to come and follow Jesus wherever he's going. But it's really interesting here because Jesus says, no, you stay here. You be my voice. You be my witness as to who I am and to what I can do in people's lives. And so we watch as they begin to sail back to the other side of the lake. When they get out on that side, there's another crowd that forms. It's a little bit different because we see that the genesis of this crowd is the fact that there was a man named Jairus. And the word gives us a description of who he is. He is a ruler of the synagogue, meaning he's an important man in the body of the religious people, of the Jewish people. He is one of those religious leaders uh, that was up here And it's interesting because most times when you watch the religious leadership interacting with Jesus, it's a clashing of ideas. It's a clashing of two kingdoms. It's a butting of heads. But on this occasion, there's something different because Jairus, just as the evil had knelt before Jesus, now Jairus is begging Jesus as well to come to his home and to do something transformative. Come to his home and do something incredible. Come and heal his little girl, who Mark will tell us is on her deathbed. And later Mark will say that she is 12 years old. Now Matthew will say that she's already died. But remember, I said it the other day, and I'll say it again, Mark doesn't get enough credit because Mark is actually considered to be our first gospel source, the first gospel that was written, probably an account of Peter written by John Mark. But we see that that Matthew and Luke took this story, remembering their time with Jesus, and begins to expound on it. So it doesn't really matter whether she had died or was dying. The important thing to get a hold of is, is Jairus has a very real need. He is pleading on his little girl's behalf. If Jesus would just come and touch her, if Jesus would just come and move, he knows that everything will be all right. So we see him imploring Jesus, would you move? Would you come and act on her behalf? And have you ever noticed this about Jesus? He always goes where he's invited. And so we watch him As with Jairus, they begin to make the journey to Jairus' home. I can't even begin to imagine I'm not a father. Never had children. I have puppies. You give me a kid, it makes me nervous. I'll break out in a sweat. You give me dogs, I'll play with them. But anyhow, you know, I've had a father, so I've known a father's love. I know how that works. I can't imagine 
the, the optimism, the hope that, that was birthed within his heart as he's walking on air. Jesus, the one who's been able to do other things, he's now going to do it for him. I mean, it's just an incredible scene as the procession is making its way to, to Jairus' home. But in the middle of that procession, another story is playing out. Because a woman who was there, really an outcast, broken in every sense of the word, who has struggled for 12 years, I I don't think it's ironic, I, I don't think it's unintentional, 12 years in the span of one's life is much too short. So many experiences left unexperienced. So many birthday parties not had. I mean, 12 years is very short, but when you are dealing with an issue, 12 years is a very long time. I don't know if you can relate to that or not, but if I feel bad for one day, if I feel bad for an hour or two, you're going to hear about it. I'm a baby, and I want you to feel sorry for me. You know, we men are kind of like that. You women are stronger than us. Well, I expected at least one amen. It was a little slow, sis, but at least it came. You, you, you know, all that kind of thing. You, you seem to deal with those things better than we do, but us guys, and you can sit there and act all strong, guys. You're just like me. Us guys want mama to take care of us. We want somebody to bring us a Tylenol, to get us a drink. Some of you do that anyhow, but we want all those things to happen. And this woman had struggled for 12 years with this hemorrhaging, this bleeding that was going on in her body. It wasn't normal. She was broken physically. Yes, that's obvious. The word also tells us she's broken financially. She sought every medical avenue she could go down but never found the relief. And now that hope is gone. She's broken financially, um, emotionally, because of everything else. She's a mess. She's even broken spiritually. She's not welcome in religious gatherings. Remember, we said it the other day, it's viewed as God having removed his hand of mercy from her life. She's obviously some sort of pervert. She's obviously something's going on for her to be dealing with what she, she might as well just sit upon a rock, but today she gets up from that place because Jesus is there. She makes her way to where he is. In my mind, something happens that causes her feeble body to fall to the ground because we read that she literally reaches out her hand, her arm, stretches it out just to get a hold of the hem or the border or the edge of his garment. And, if she get, and when she gets a hold of just the edge of his garment, I wish we'd see this picture. I would that someone at Psyker Camp would just get a little bit of Jesus. I would if you've come here with a need in your life, whatever it may be, that you would just get a little bit of him because in a little bit of him, you would find everything that you need But when she got a hold of just a little bit of Jesus, what she had sought after for so long, she found complete healing. I'll say it again. Aren't you thankful that we have a God that does things completely? Completely restored in every aspect of the word. Now let me just add an addendum there. I don't read that she got her money back, but I don't think that she cared. Because everything she sought after, she found. And and that's exciting, and we rejoice in those things. But remember, it's in the middle of another story. 
Jairus has a very real need. Jairus' little girl, his, his darling daughter, is on her deathbed. Time is precious. And we don't know how much time this took. If it were only slipping into the crowd and touching, that might be one thing. But remember, there was an entire conversation that occurred. And the ruler of the synagogue may have been looking at this one who had been outcast. Maybe he had been one of the ones that passed judgment and said that you're not welcome. And now she has interrupted everything. I can't begin to imagine the anxiety anxiety was that was going on in his heart i can't imagine the anxiousness the the anticipation as it was halted there but now they start down the road to his home once again now hope seems to be restored until they're met with a group of the household on the road and the members of the household they they say to jairus at this point don't bother jesus anymore leave the teacher alone because your daughter She's dead. So now the announcement comes even from Mark. And Jairus, I don't know how he responded, but in my mind, did he collapse under the news of that? I, I don't know. I'm sure his heart was ripped in two. Did tears begin to fill his eyes, flood them, and run down his face? Was he trying to act brave? I don't know what was going on, but I see Jesus as he throws his arms around a broken man. I know Scripture doesn't say that, but that's my Jesus. And if you don't have a Jesus that will throw you his arm around a broken man, you don't know Jesus. Throws his arm around him and says, don't listen to them. Only believe. Can I ask you a question? How do you believe for life when death has come upon the scene? How do you find hope when all hope is gone? But Jesus says, only believe. And they get to the house, you know the story. The mourners are in full progress. Jesus throws them out of the house, walks over and grabs that little girl's arm, and it's as though his arm becomes a conduit for life. As we watch life course from him into her body, it's just like a power surge. A heart that had ceased to function begins to pump once again. Blood that had stilled in the veins now begins to move. And a little girl who had grown cold in death now sits up in the warmth of new life found in Jesus Christ. And she begins to talk. It's exciting. Well, Matthew adds some other stories there that's not in Mark, so I won't take you there. I want to, but I won't. Because then we come to Mark chapter 6. I want you to see the progression of the kingdom going public. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus goes to his hometown. Now, I feel it necessary to remind you this morning that Jesus was a Nazarene. <laughs> they don't care. You don't care either. John was a Baptist. Jesus, John Wesley was a Methodist. I don't know what that means, but, but John the Baptist, he was a Baptist. You know, you know, I'll just move on. He's gone to Nazareth to present his father's kingdom, to, 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 to display all that, to, to have lives changed. And, and when he gets there, I mean, I'm sure it's exciting to hear, but people begin to say things like this. Wait a minute. Isn't that Mary's boy? Wait a second. Isn't that the carpenter's son? Isn't that the carpenter? Do you know what's going on there? Once somebody has changed your diapers, you're always that little mess that they once cleaned up. 
They had such low self-esteem that they believed the question, can anything good come from? They had such disregard of themselves that they weren't open to the message that Jesus was bringing. It's really tragic in his own hometown. And so that goes through verse 6. And then in verse 7, we watch as Jesus calls his inner circle together. His closest 12, he pairs them up and he sends them out under the authority of the kingdom. He sends them out with the purpose of doing everything that he himself had been doing up to this point. I want you to hear that again. He sends them out under the authority of the kingdom to do everything that he had been doing up to this point himself. So we see them as they go out under the authority of the kingdom. And because they operate under the authority of the kingdom, they touch people who are sick and those people are made well. They anoint people who are out of their mind and God puts them in their right mind. Don't you wish God would do that for a few people you know? Well, maybe not. There's a few people I know I wish God would do that for. you. For. I said for you, <laughs> not you. You don't care. It's a, all the things that Jesus had been doing, they do because they operate under the power of the king the authority of the kingdom they experience the kingdom's power you do understand this morning that if we were to operate under the authority of the kingdom kingdom power would be revealed the very power that was available to them is available to us in fact we have that promise of greater things where are they why aren't we seeing them? Probably because we're doing it our way. See, you can't rebel against kingdom authority and expect to operate in kingdom power. They go out under the authority of the kingdom, and because they operate under the authority of the kingdom, kingdom power is revealed. They come back to report everything that's going on, and can you imagine how tired they are? How drained they must be. I mean, you think Syker is draining. We're just on Monday. You think Syker is tiring? They've been walking. They've been doing kingdom work. The people have been taking and taking. And the more you're willing to give, the more the people are willing to take. Even when you get to the point where you don't have much more to give, they're just going to take as much as they can possibly get and then a little bit more. They are overwhelmed. But then the emotional overwhelming even gets greater as they hear the news that John the Baptist has been beheaded. You remember he is the one who stood for the right. We heard about it the other day. He had this unique um, personality. He had this unique identification, this trait about him that when everybody wanted to make him the one, he said, no, it's not about me. You've got to see him. His entire life was a proclamation of who Jesus Christ was. Behold the Lamb. And do you know that our lives are to be a proclamation of who he is everywhere we go, not because we say it, but our lives. And because he's living, it should point to the fact that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But now he has lost his head, literally, not figuratively, for standing for the right. They're there with Jesus. They're talking about everything that's been going on, and they are overwhelmed. Jesus has been out doing kingdom business, and in his humanity, he was probably tired as well, and he's dealing with all those other things. So we hear his words in verse 31, come ye apart, come aside by yourselves, to a deserted place so we can rest a while. 
You do understand that everybody needs rest. That includes your pastor, your pastoral staff. Everybody needs rest from time to time. And now Jesus is inviting his men to steal away, to get away for a while so they all can rest together in a deserted place. The only problem is Mark tells the story differently than John. And since I, I, I won't get into John, I promise, but, but we see that while Mark is telling um, that Jesus is saying, let's go to a deserted, there's a little lady there. And why it's a lady in my mind, I don't know. If you want to make it a man, make it a man. Feel free to do that. I don't care. But some little lady is listening. She finds out where they're going to. And because they want more, have you ever noticed if you get a little bit of Jesus, you want more? I mean, if you ever look into his face, there's a longing that comes. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You will do whatever it takes. You'll spend 10 days in the heat at Camp Syker. You'll do whatever it takes to have more of him. She hears where they are going. And not being satisfied, wanting more, she begins to spread it around to the crowd. And they take off on foot, running to this deserted place. And when they get there, Mark says, boom, they come to this deserted place and all of a sudden, 5,000 men, gender-specific term, that means it's men, which likely means the number is greater than 5,000, because if there are 5,000 men, there are probably 5,000 women, and if you get 5,000 men and women together, there are a whole lot of kids. You know that's the way, you're not dead, you know that's the way things happen. But even if it's only 5,000, can you imagine how frustrated the disciples might have been? Come on. How many of you work with people? How many of you people get on your nerves? Oh, sure, sure, sure. I see you driving your car. I see the way you look at people here on the grounds. I mean, there's just something about people. They're expecting rest. You're not going to rest with that many people there. And they know how Jesus is. Have you noticed Jesus always gives of himself as much as you want? He goes out in the crowd and he begins to teach and touch. He begins to do all those things. And if you don't think they were frustrated, if you want to make them into those holy people that walk around with their hands folded, it's proven here in the text because as the date gets late, as the sun begins to set in the west or, or begins to at least head that way, all of a sudden they come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, let me remind you of something. We're in a deserted place. That means there are no Hampton Inns around. That means there are no Super 8s. Jesus, there's not even a Motel 6 here that will leave the light on for these people. And not only is there no lodging, there are no McDonald drive throughs that stay open 24 hours. There aren't any Walmarts. Jesus, it's hard to believe there's not even any Dollar Generals around. Are people planting Dollar General seeds? Every open field, isn't there in a Dollar General that's popping? I used to think it was Walmart that was everywhere. Dollar General has taken over the world. It's probably the Russians. <laughs> but anyhow, send them away, they say. They're tired. They're hungry. Send them away. And then Jesus always has a way of turning things around. Have you ever noticed that? He says, you feed them. And then one of the disciples, I, I love it because this was probably, do you want us to go find a Dollar General? 
I would do that so I could stay away a little bit longer. Oh, it took a long time. I'd drive the speed limit on that. I mean, you would too. I mean, and then Jesus asked the question, what do you have? Now, John says how it happened, but next thing in Mark, you know that Jesus has the food in hand. Five loaves, two small fish. And from those five loaves and two small fish, he feeds everybody. Not just the nibble. He fills them. Everybody there eats, not just the bite, as much as they want. And then they gather 12 baskets. Each one of them have a basket in their hand, filled with the fragments of the bread, filled with reminders of the miracle. They have it in their hand, but figuratively for the rest of their life, they will carry that with them. They should. And remember what their God is able to do if you would just let him have what little bit that you've got. Well, after all of that, this brings us to where we are, and I promise you it's going to go fast. He tells the disciples, he says, y'all get in the boat. Go before me to the other side. Go before me unto Bethsaida, and I'll catch up with you later. It's implied there. You get in the boat, you 12, get in the boat and go before me unto Bethsaida. Bethsaida, I'll catch up. He, he, he's, it's almost as though you can see it. That he, he realizes that there's a storm brewing in his life. He knows these people who he's filled their belly. They're looking for a king anyhow. And now that he's met their physical need, they're going to try to force him to be king. And you realize he's going to be king. But he won't be king on the people's terms. He won't be king on our terms. He's king on his own terms. And so he sends them away. They're more than willing to do it. As they push off the shore of the lake, as they begin to sail out on the sea, the sun has set, it's dark, they're sailing out into the darkness, and Jesus makes his way up onto a mountain, up onto a hill in a cave-like structure where he is going to pray. Hours pass, and the disciples get about halfway out on that lake. You know the story. And when they get about halfway out on that lake, they can't go any further. Why? Because the Holman Christian says it like this. They were being battered by the wind. I love that image. They were being battered. I like it because we all understand what it means to be battered by the winds of life. If you live long enough, you will be battered by the winds of life. You take one step forward, what's the old saying? Get not two steps back. You finally save up a little bit of a nest egg. You've got it there in the bank. And then all of a sudden, there's a car repair. All of a sudden, there's a home repair. All of a sudden, COVID comes and no income practically for almost a year. I mean, all those things. We know what it's like to be battered by the wind. They're fighting. They're in the middle of this storm, this tempest. And remember, they've been there before. I made reference to it there in chapter 4. In chapter 4, as they were making their way to the demoniac, they were in the same place, it seems, and they were fighting. They're out in the middle of the lake. I mean, they're doing everything. Four of them are fishermen. They're holding on to the sails. They're, 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 they're holding the oars. They're scooping the water out. And while they're doing that, between the thunder cracks, Jesus is back there snoring. And let me just say this. That would be frustrating. You can spiritualize it if you want to. That would be frustrating. There have been times in my life, have you ever had something that was burning within you? You, you know, just something that was life-giving, something that was a matter. You had to tell somebody you're leading a board, and yet the board, all they want to do is snore. 
You're preaching a sermon. I mean, God has put this on your heart. It's a matter of life and death. Truly is. And while you're delivering that sermon, all the people are doing are snoring. I've heard a few this week. It's frustrating. And their frustration level begins to boil over. They walk back to where Jesus is. And we make it so holy. Carest thou not? Come on. They're anticipating their death. They're going to become victim to the abyss. They don't know what's under the, the top of the water. They didn't know, and other people had ne- gone out and never come back. They go to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, we're about to die here. We're about to drown. We're going under. We're go- you can't breathe underwater. Life is over. Just wanted you to know, enjoy your nap. That's what it was. You may not like it, but it's not, carest thou not. It's that. And do you know what Jesus does? He rubs the sleep out of his eye as he stands to his feet and walks to the front of the boat, wipes the drool from his chin. Don't you love a drool in Jesus? Okay, you don't. Wipes the drool from his chin and looks this tempest in the eye. Faces off with this rabid beast. And this is what he says, and we do a poor job here too. Peace. Be still. That's not what the language is. Fimo, literally. Be muzzled. And when he speaks those words, the hand of God. See, when authority speaks, authority must be obeyed. If you work your way up to this part, you can't avoid that. The voice of authority has spoken, and now we watch as the hand of God reaches down and grips the mouth of that rabid beast. It must, be, it must obey. It cannot blow anymore. As soon as the tempest, as quickly as it blew, now it's gone. It's smooth sailing from there on out. They have been there, but this time there is no snoring because, remember, Jesus isn't in the boat. He's up on the hill. But aren't you thankful that the word of God says they had no idea. It was so dark. The storm was so fierce. They can't see him. They can't sense his presence. But it says that Jesus, despite the distance, despite the darkness, saw them in their straining. And at the right time, makes his way. And let me just say this. I want to rush Jesus so many times. I do. I want to help him out, tell him to get on with it. But he always comes at the right time. And at the right time, he walks through that storm that they can't sail through. You've heard that. Walks through that. Wants to pass them by. Now, I have my ideas on that, but I'll let your pastors preach that to you. Wants to pass them by. Until they cry out because they think it's a ghost. Zach from Ghost Hunters. A ghost. Everything's a ghost. Everything's supernatural. And and I want to laugh at him, but I'm not going to. Because I've stayed in churches overnight. In fact, when you tell me you're putting me in the private chambers, it causes fear and anxiety in my heart. Anyway, come on. Even the name Prophet's Chambers. You don't care. I'm just... uh, You know what I'm talking about. But anyhow, 
I've stayed in a church. And how, many, how many of you ever stayed overnight in a church or been in a dark church all alone? All that kind of thing. You hear some weird things. And I want to laugh at them, but I'm not going to because I've decided I want the Holy Ghost in my life. I just don't want to meet him in the dark. He gets in the boat, and it's smooth sailing from there on out. And they come to shore in Gennesaret and anchor there. He gets in the boat in the middle of the storm that Jesus literally sent them into. They were doing what Jesus told them to do where they thought they would lose their life, gets into the boat, and when they come to shore, they anchor in Gennesaret. Well, what's the big deal? That's not where they started the journey heading. Remember, we read it. Jesus said, you get in the boat, you go before me unto Bethsaida. And after a horrible storm, when Jesus joins them in the boat, they anchor in Gennesaret. That's not where they started the journey heading. And just so you don't think, well, it's just a course correction. I think if you were to look at the Sea of Galilee as if it were a clock. Now, we know it's not round, but if you were to look at it as a clock, Bethsaida would be somewhere around 130. Where the, where the little hand would be at 1.30. It'd be somewhere over here. Gennesaret is more over 10 o'clock or 10.30. It's not a course correction. It's not where the... Why does that matter? Because you don't always end up where you thought you'd be. I don't know. I, I, I don't know you, and I can't tell how you respond to things, but maybe you're here this morning, and you say, you know what? I planned it out when I was in the fifth grade, and every turn, every, it's all worked out exactly like I thought. Probably if you'd say that, even though I don't know you, I'd say, you're a liar. Life doesn't happen that way. You can't plan out. I want to stay there, but I'm, I, I'm not going to. I'm going to respect your time. But there are probably people here today who are sitting there saying, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I thought it would be. This is not where I was supposed to be at this point in my life. Jesus told, you can't argue with the text. Jesus told them to get into the boat and go to Bethsaida. And yet, when he joined them in the middle of a storm, they came to shore in Gennesaret. You don't always end up where you thought you'd be. But I'll make you this promise based upon our text. Wherever you end up, God will use you exactly where you are. You saw it, even though it's not where they were supposed to be, because they were there, when people recognized him, 
because he was there, they began to run throughout all the villages and towns and bringing the people who were needy, who were sick, who were, who were possessed. They bring him. I mean, wherever he went, there they were. And if they just got a little bit of Jesus, if they just touched his him, those people were made well. You may not be where you thought you'd be, but don't let that consume you. God has you where you are for a reason. And I would dare say it would be to share from your basket of what he has done in your life so that others could get just a little bit of him so their journey would be changed as well. Well, if I could just pastor this church, no. Well, if I could just do this, no. God has you where you are. He will use you where you are if you'll allow him. Lives were changed that had they gone to Bethsaida, it wouldn't have happened, at least not on this day. But because they anchored in Gennesaret, in that region there, because he and the disciples, lives were changed. You don't end up always where you thought you would be. But God always will use you where you are if you'll allow him to do so. It's an incredible picture that if we're not careful, we'll read right over I hope it encourages you today. Jesus, thank you for the way you order our lives. Even in times when we don't realize. I, re I know that, that you don't cause certain things to happen in our life, but you'll use them if we'll allow you to. You'll use them, yes, as the word says, for our good, but more importantly, for your glory. So I pray for my brother or sister who is here today saying, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Help them to realize that with you, it's going to be okay. With you, they can be used mightily for the kingdom. We love you. We anticipate what you're going to do throughout the rest of the camp, but specifically in this service tonight. So help us to prepare as you prepare your servant to deliver to us what you give to him. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.